We are um, just starting on a journey with the Psalms and with the Psalms that themselves are a journey called the Songs of Ascent. Uh, they are Psalms 120 through 134, and so we'll be in, a, in them, in and out of them through a season. Um, but they begin with this one, with Psalm 120. And I invite you, if you, if you have a Bible, you'll notice the, the title, with the title, it'll say in this section, it'll say, it'll begin with just the statement, a song of ascent. Listen to the word of the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace, for I am for peace. But when, they, but when I speak, they are for war. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Consider a prayer and consider our prayers. Lord, guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tim Keller begins his book on prayer by noting two fundamental postures that we come to prayer with. The first is, is praise. Praise, the, the satisfaction of dwelling in the presence of God. He calls this kind of praying, this communion prayer. And, and we can picture that as we, at the end of this service, and how we'll come to God at the table. But the other posture, fundamental posture of prayer is a longing for the kingdom of God. Where, where things would reflect the presence and the rule of God in a way that they currently don't. And this prayer begins with a, a fundamental dissatisfaction with the way things are. He calls this kingdom prayer. They have in common at their heart the presence of God, either the enjoyment of it or the longing for it. But it's all about a heart after God in completely, complete reliance and trust for him. Prayer is the, the first and the constant thing that we do that puts our faith in action. And these two seemingly opposite postures reflect what theologians call the tension of future and realized eschatology, the now and the not yet. The fact that both of these are true and the, and the tension that we are in both of these states, the now and the not yet, simultaneously. We see it in worship. We, we call out for God and we celebrate him at the same time. 
It's also reflected in prayer, though. We praise and we adore him and we beseech him. And, and much of the expression of the Christian life is typically weighted on one or the other sides of this tension in our life that we live with as Christians. This is the first of the Psalms of Ascent. The psalm this morning begins the journey of the ascent to Jerusalem with almost all the weight on being far away from God, but not so far away that he cannot hear. This first psalm, the first of the steps on the journey to Jerusalem and, and all that we experience along the way to the holy city of God and, and Mount Zion, ultimately it's a, it's a picture of our journey to the full presence of God. But it begins in the furthest away place. And it represents the first important thing that is necessary for the journey, the first lesson in apprenticeship to Jesus. You might guess that the journey would begin with a word of praise, something beautiful. But this journey of ascent begins with a cry for help, with dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with the way things are and with where we find ourselves. Now, the truth is, most of the time, we don't move from places of contentment and satisfaction. We're prone to being sedentary. If I like a place, I don't want to move from it. I think of my kids. If you have kids, you know this. If they're watching TV or playing a video game, and I ask them to do something, you know, what the, you know the response, right? Hold on, I'll do it, I'll do it later. I'm in the middle of my game, my show. That's, that's the way we all live. Only if things are wrong do we tend to move. Eugene Peterson starts his chapter on this psalm saying, people submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice feel like they're drowning in it. They can trust nothing they hear, depend on no one they meet. Such dissatisfaction with the world as it is, is preparation for traveling in the way of Christian discipleship. The dissatisfaction coupled with a longing for peace and truth can set us on a pilgrim path of wholeness with God. He goes on to say, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. Psalm, 20, psalm 120 is a song of a person who can't stand it anymore. The lies, the hate, all, all the sin in the world, it's, it's both a cry of pain for the world's brokenness and it is the first step in a journey to God and a life of peace. This isn't a pretty psalm. It, it, it seems harsh to start a journey this way. The first words are, in my distress. And the last word is, war. This isn't even a sweet sadness. It is a cry of despair. It is a, it is a dark depression. But honestly, one thing I was always drawn to in Scripture, even as a teenager, was the utter honesty 
it has with the way things really are. Ecclesiastes saying that all things are vanity, felt, it felt very real to me. And the, and the cries of the psalmist here and elsewhere about all that is not right, almost to a place of utter hopelessness when facing the realities of the world is honest. And it's necessary because the world is broken. It always has been. Since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, relationships have been broken between each other, between us and the world we were given stewardship of. Even within ourselves, we're broken. And most importantly, the relationship between us and God, the one who made us and loves us. And all of that became, all that brokenness became a part of us. But at some key moment, we realize we just want peace, shalom. Shalom isn't a peace of a lack of conflict. It's the peace of all being made right, of the lion and the lamb laying down together, of, of swords being turned into plowshares, of the worst of us, our sins, being turned into something beautiful, redemption. I love that in the Hebrew world, the greeting and the, and the goodbyes are, is a benediction of peace, shalom. We realize in that moment that so much of what we've been told it turns out not to be true. It, it, it turns out to be a lie. First of all, that all human beings are fundamentally nice and good, that we're all equal and innocent and self-sufficient, and that the world is a harmless, pleasant place, that we're all born free and whatever chains we have in our life are someone's fault and we can fix it with just a little more intelligence and effort. The problem with believing all these lies is that when we feel in, then we feel entitled to a world in which the lies are true. And we, when we don't get it, we, we build up bitterness and anger and, and resentment and, and even depression, leading to violence and brokenness and war, the war that this passage ends with. And it just gets worse when we think we're the exception to all the brokenness and sin of the world, that we don't participate in it, and that we're not subject to it, and, and we think we don't have any sin. We make it clear in our worship service as we started off with the acknowledgement of our sin. The lie, the entitlement, and the, and the feeling like we're an exception, it just perpetuates all the consequences of wrong and violence and war. But, here's the big, the but, the, thank God for this but, but the Christian's journey begins with the realization that this is in fact a lie, and the first words out of the mouth, out of our mouth will be, help, save me, in my distress, deliver me. This psalm gives us a clue how to know the truth. This is where the journey begins. In Hebrew, the single word that we see at the beginning of this psalm twice, the single word, Lord. 
Yahweh. In, in most English translations of the Old Testament, if Lord is capitalized, is printed in all capital letters, they are translating the very personal name uh, for God in the, in the God of Israel, Yahweh. But it is the one word that brings everything into the light. All the experiences of the psalmist, all the brokenness and sin of the world, and it brings it all into the light of truth, and it reveals the lies. I really like the way Peterson highlights what the simple word Lord reveals. He writes, the truth about me is that God made and loves me. The truth about those sitting beside me is that God made them and loves them and that each one is therefore my neighbor. The truth about the world is that God rules and provides for it. The truth about what is wrong with the world is that I and the neighbor sitting beside me have sinned in refusing to let God be for us, over us, and in us. The truth about what is at the center of our lives and of our history is that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins and raised from the tomb for our salvation and that we can participate in new life as we believe in him, accept his mercy, respond to his love, and attend to his commands. All of that, all of it is in just that simple word, Lord, Yahweh. John Bailey, a, a great writer and scholar and thinker, he offered a clear image. He said, I am sure that the bit of the road that most requires to be illuminated is the point where it forks. Peterson calls the psalmist's use of the word Lord here like a lightning flash that, that just in that moment illuminates the fork in the road and, and sets before us a choice of which way we will, we will go. And the choice is between the kind of the dreamy nostalgia for a better life that's just hoping that maybe some of those lies are true or a rugged pilgrimage of discipleship in faith. This is the decision presented in the psalm. Where, you, where are you putting your trust? You, your hope, to whom are you calling out? It's the decision presented from every pulpit through the ages, including this one in one form or another every week. It's in Sunday schools and home studies and families and workplaces and schools and fields everywhere. People who make this decision for the long, rugged road of apprenticeship, of discipleship are called Christians. But every fork in a road is not just saying yes to one choice. It is also saying no to another. The psalmist writes, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Meshach and Kedar are place names. 
Meshach is a far-off tribe that lives thousands of miles north in southern Russia. Keter is a, is a wandering Bedouin tribe that has a barbaric reputation that is along Israel's borders. And they represent the, the, the strange and the hostile. And, and the furthest away places that, that we could find ourselves from the presence of God in the temple at Jerusalem. These are, are as far away as you could get. And Peterson paraphrases that sentence saying, I live in the, most, in the midst of hoodlums and wild savages. This world is not my home, and I want out. There's a biblical word for this decision of saying no to the lies and yes to God. It is the word repentance. Repentance. Repent means to, to turn back to take another road from the one you were on and go a different, opposite direction. It's, it's always the first word of the Christian life and the beginning of the journey, repentance. Of the first decision of every daily, hourly course correction. John the Baptist preparing the people for Jesus' ministry, his message was simply repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus came and he, his preaching began with repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and Peter's first sermon of the church in Acts ends with repent and be baptized. And the last book of the Bible has a message to the seventh church, be zealous and repent. Now, repentance isn't an emotion. It is a decision. It is a decision to not be our own God, to not believe the lie and think that we can take care of everything if we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's a decision to take the, the rugged road of apprenticeship, of discipleship, to follow Jesus and trust him to become a pilgrim on the path of peace to the presence of God and to climb the road to the heavenly Jerusalem and the fullness of that presence of God. By simply trusting in Jesus to lead us to life. Elie Wiesel, the, the famous Jewish writer and thinker who survived the camps of the Holocaust, told stories with a recurring image of a traveler who loses his way in the forest. It's, it's dark, and he's afraid. And a, and a storm comes, and the skies flash. Now, a fool looks at the lightning strikes. They're amazing. But the wise one keeps his eyes on the road ahead. So when the lightning strikes, he can see where he's going for just that moment. Diogenes Allen was my favorite professor when I was at Princeton. And I first heard him talk at the orientation class of our class at Princeton. And now most of my experience of Dr. Allen was with him through deeply intellectual lectures that I was barely on the edge of understanding of theological philosophy in, in the classroom, but not this first talk with us. In it, he simply gave us the picture of the Christian life. Whoever and wherever you find yourself, one day, by whatever means, 
you hear God call. And from whatever direction you are pointed or however far away you are, you turn toward that voice and you start moving. Orienting ourselves toward God from from wherever we're at, no matter how far away, and we begin the journey. And then continuously reorienting ourselves whenever we get distracted and brought off course, no matter how far away from God. We can see that reorientation every week in our confession during worship. Our Christian walk is to turn our eyes and steps in the direction of His presence and leave where we're at and head towards Him. Now, saying no to one life is not without pain. I hear stories of young professional athletes who grew up in the worst of conditions in in neighborhoods and families that did not offer life. Suddenly, the, the very few come to that place in their late teens or early 20s where they become incredibly successful on the court, on the field, and, and they become multimillionaires beyond their, their wildest dreams. And the first thing that happens is that that world that they came from wants to draw them back. And they have to go through the very difficult process of learning to say no of saying no to so much of that world that they grew up in that would distract them and and draw them away, not just on the court, but as young men and women in the world. And they have to find some way to make those hard decisions to say no to the world they once knew. Many are not gonna be able to. Every one of us faces the crossroads Every choice for good involves letting go of something. And it's often hard and it's often painful. Just, just talk to anyone who's gone through the process of giving up an addiction or even a habit. And as we grow older and grow in grace, we keep finding areas in our hearts and lives that we have to let go of. And we have to make that hard choice once again. And any hurt that we suffer, either the hurt that that comes directly from our sin or hurt that comes from God to open our eyes to our sin, it's like a lightning bolt that strikes our lives. And it's worth it so that we can see and, and choose the better path to life and peace. The whole history of Israel is centered on two choices of the people of Israel. First, when Abraham said no to life in Mesopotamia and began a journey with the voice of God leading him to the promised land. And then again, Israel had to reject their lives in Egypt and escape into the wilderness. And for a moment, they wanted to go back. It was hard and it was scary. But after 40 years of wandering, they made it out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Now, Mesopotamia and Egypt, they both were the cradles of civilization and the wisdom and strength of that ancient world. But Israel said no to them. And the psalmist said, I am for peace, but when I speak, They are for war. 
The modern world's not that different. Abraham Heschel, the Jewish philosopher, describes Egypt and Mesopotamia and the modern world saying, man reigns supreme. Everything else is an adversary, even nature and each other. And through our strength and our wisdom, we'll build this world. But that is the myth of those ancient civilizations, and it's the myth of the modern world, and it's failing. Through the tragedies of the 20th century and the ongoing strife of today, this, the modern myth of the triumph of man is only leading to disappointment and more war. And the patriarch Abraham heard the voice of God and followed him and said no to that world and began a journey. And you might think that he'd have just gone back to Eden, but that's not the journey God has us on. He began a journey for all of us of redemption, a journey that leads through Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. And all of us who cry out to God are on that journey. Take a moment now and look at our own church and our own church's circumstances. We don't need to feel like we are that far removed from God's presence and purpose as the psalmist was in this moment. Not as a church, we don't. There is, we just finished a season of considering who we are and where we're at. And there is, there is much to celebrate of what God has done through us and, and made us to be through the years. More than anything, what I am so amazed by and pleased by is that you are a people whose heart is to be faithful, a people who, who chase after the heart of God who truly celebrate God's salvation through Jesus in his death and resurrection and, and presence among us every week and more. There's so much more I could say about what there is to celebrate about our church. But we also recognize, both through the circumstances of just simply being in transition, but also seeing what we have and where we're at as a congregation, we know that God is calling us forward in a new direction. We're not meant to stay where we're at. We're called to move from here and continue to seek God's presence and work in and through us. We may not characterize where we're at as Meshach and Kedar, although most of us have a sense of what it means to be there. But we are at a place of looking, where do we go from here? And the place to start that journey from today brings us to where the psalmist is. And we begin our journey by looking to the Lord and crying for help. We begin this journey not by looking at all the books and journals about church growth or asking each other's opinions about what we think will work. Rather, together, we look to God and see where he's leading us. What direction is Jerusalem from here? Where is God leading and dwelling? Let's go there. And let's begin by asking for God's help 
to see. That's where the journey and the plan begin. But I also know, whenever I speak to a group of any size, really, that there are those among us who are at a place of feeling very distant from God. By circumstances, because of anxiety and de- or, or depression, because of fear and doubt, whatever the source, God seems like a faraway dream. And you're lost in the dark, wor- wor- dark woods. Start here with the psalmist. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do call on you from wherever we're at. We are so grateful for the opportunity to praise you and to lift up the joy of our salvation. But Lord, we also know that we call on you from a place of need, a need to draw closer to you. From whatever distance we may be, we may feel, we look to you and pray that you would give us direction and strength, wisdom and knowledge. You'd give us all that we need to be faithful to you and follow you wherever you lead. But Lord, help us not merely look to our own opinions or the gathered wisdom of the community, although, Lord, there may be your voice in that. But help us always and all the time, begin and all the way through, look directly to you and calling out to you to lead us. And then, Lord, with clouds by day and fire by night, show us the way where you would have us go as we journey to Jerusalem, as we see the full presence of your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for each other, and we thank you for this journey that you've given us. And we thank you for the words and the psalms that help guide us along the way. We pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.